minerals and gems and stuff. God so. damn right. Doing it to it. Gonna find me a T-Rex <laughs> on my trip to Flathead Lake. Yeah, we're, turns out we're going to Big Fork. Big is, Fork on near, Flathead Lake. <laughs> which is near Polson, so I wasn't that far off. <laughs> Both Airbnb, because I've never Airbnb'd before. They don't want to tell you where the fuck you're staying until you can't get your money back. <laughs> It'll be awesome. Looking forward to it. Me too. You know what else we might find there? What? Birds. Birds. <gasps> lots and lots of birds. <laughs> Might find more magpies. <laughs> Welcome to the Nightmare Box. I'm still pouring my beer. I don't know why it's taking me so long today. Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the one who just found the address where we're going to go hunt motherfucking dinosaurs, Kristen Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> and we are here to bring you yet another edition of the yet unnamed segment where we talk classic films. And this time we're talking The Birds, 1963, The Return of Motherfucking Alfred Hitchcock. What's up, world? Maybe that's what we call it. We call it Two Star Tuesday, but classy. <laughs> <laughs> Two Star Toupee. <laughs> yeah, um, The Birds, 1963. Uh, doing another Hitchcock movie. Um, Excited. Uh, Where do we... Let's see what the actual... Actually, can, before we I do this, have, can I hit you with some brand new news that's yeah, going to be week old? Yeah, I don't have the old? ratings, though. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> imagine them. They're in the 90s. I think it's a 95 on Rotten Tom, if I remember correctly. Uh, speaking of Rotten Tom, what is the greatest film of all time per Rotten Tom rules? Is it Psycho? No, it's 100% certified fresh. It's Citizen Kane. Ugh, oh, wait. It was 100% certified fresh until today. You know what happened today, Kristen? Did Nomadland kick it off? Nope. No, they dug up a review from like the Chicago Tribunal from like 80 years ago where one person panned it. So now it has one negative critic review and is sitting at a 99%. That's not it has fallen from its graces. It's not that good of a movie. <laughs> but this one, had it, 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 it's highly reviewed too. We just don't have the numbers for you. Yeah, Let's dive into it. Um, per, as usual with Hitchcock, it was directed <laughs> by him um, mm -hmm. and produced by him. It's based on The Birds by Daphne Day... Uh, I'm not going to pronounce that. <laughs> Daphne Day M. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what page Help me we're out on. Here. Uh, I'd call that Daphne du Moir. There you go. Du mm -hmm. um, Robert Burks did the cinematography. Um, the production company was Alfred H Hitchcock's own production company, mm -hmm. which is literally Alfred J. Hitchcock Productions. Because <laughs> he was in his 60s when this happened. He was very successful. Uh, distributed by Universal. It is the old, old, old Universal label. Mm-hmm. Um, Budget was only $3.3 which is actually kind of surprising yeah. for what all was in this movie. They actually used and trained birds for this shit. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> used and trained since and you brought it up. And at one point tied them to Tippi Hedren. <laughs> yeah, so apparently Hitchcock went on the Dick Cavett show and said that 3,200 birds were trained for the movie, mm -hmm. that the ravens were the smartest and the seagulls were the meanest. <laughs> um... And according to, I think it's the main male actor, no? No? Yes, the main male actor, uh, Rod Taylor, 
he claims, claims, that the seagulls were fed a mixture of wheat and whiskey. To so keep them docile. So just, yeah, hang out all day, <laughs> which is bizarre. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, budget was $3.3 million, which is kind of wild for the fact that they did all that. Yeah. Um, got some budget. Budget birds. Uh, box office return was eleven point four million. God so damn right. Pretty solid return. And a, I believe it is in the. Uh, I'm gonna fucking lose it. It's in the like historical films deal. It probably has it at the bottom of that first paragraph. And um, Tippi Hedren donated her script to the Smithsonian. No fun. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Apparently. Um, before it was officially released, too, I read a trivia thing earlier today that Hitchcock let Tippy take a copy of the film and do, like, a little mini, um, preview of it for, like, the people in her hometown. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, her and her family and about 130 people, I think is what it said, got together in, like, a small theater in her hometown and got, like, the sneak preview of it. That's fucking cool. Before it came out. Goddamn right. And, uh, up top, I don't know enough about it. To really speak on it, I tried to read about it earlier. Um, in the post-Me Too, current Me Too, wherever we stand with that movement, I can't get behind my boy Alfred. Uh, there was apparently sexual harassment and maybe one or two sexual assaults uh, between him and Tippy at the tail end of the filming of this movie and throughout the entire filming of Hitchcock's next movie, which he also did with Tippy. Uh, so there is a documentary you can watch on Netflix called The Girl, about that story, and I can't talk about it. Like, I, don't, I don't know enough of the details. Yeah, but. apparently, because one of the things I was reading about it is that um, it's a bit controversial as far as this movie goes, because she initially mm -hmm. up front said that he had been sexually aggressive with her during the making of this, and then much later mm -hmm. came back and said it didn't start until later, so it didn't happen until during the next this. Movie. So yeah, so people were like, saying she was just attention-seeking or whatever, but her co-star, Rod Taylor, who looks like, just looking at him, like the man's man kind of dude, mm -hmm. who would be like, yeah, you can totally group women, yeah. apparently supported her and said that was true, that Hitchcock was harassing her, so... It looks like it's true. Probably so. <laughs> but she's also Allegedly. quoted as... Yeah, she said that she's um, capable of separating the two men, the artist and the monster you know, more or less, and didn't want to knock him off his pedestal. But I, I, I felt it was our duty to at least acknowledge that this is a controversial film for different reasons than it was controversial back then uh, in the nowadays. But let's dive into the bastard. Cast. The cast. Uh, we have Tippi Hedren plays Melanie Daniels. She's the main character, and I didn't have which kind of lends to this controversial aspect of it. I didn't have any films from her that I was really familiar with, mm -hmm. and apparently Hitchcock locked her in a seven-year contract when she yeah. got signed on to this movie because this was her debut movie. And paid her to do nothing. <laughs> and yeah, um, she didn't really get to do much of anything for the next seven mm -hmm. years, and apparently when she got signed on to this movie, they lied about her age and promoted her yeah. as still being in her 20s when she was actually in her early 30s because yeah. back then they billed her as 28 and she was 33 yeah uh, apparently back then uh good for me to know i guess because i'm going to be 33 on my next birthday <laughs> uh that's the death sentence you're considered too old to work anymore at yeah. that age um so i guess i'll be retiring next year uh, <laughs> it's been a long and prosperous career <laughs> But, uh, I thank the Academy. <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, for several years, uh, anytime there was like 
search information about mm-hmm. her, they would misquote her birth year, and she finally had to come out and be like, that's not when I was born. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is sad for Hollywood. I am... Well, this era is where the shit happened that we're just now, like, kind of figuring out, figuring out. Yeah. You know? I don't feel like we've fully corrected it, but I feel like we are shifting in the other direction. Mm-hmm. I think older actresses, which that's really where the age thing comes into play whenever you're on screen. I think older actresses are kind of getting a bit more of a... I, mean, I think men get the better roles, but women are mm-hmm. getting a bit more of a fair shake at it. And uh, younger women in film behind the camera are, you know, making yeah. waves right now. The like new I have, Oscar yeah, winner. I haven't seen uh, No Nomadland. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to say No Man Land. Nomadland, I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's phenomenal. And congratulations, Chloe, because she is not that much older than me. <laughs> so good on you. Fuck yeah. Our next one is Rod Taylor. He plays Mitch Brenner. Uh, he's our love interest, and I find this interesting. He was Winston Churchill in Inglorious no Bastards. No shit. Yeah. I looked down and my face changed. I was like, what the fuck? You've got like references for some of these fucking people. <laughs> Just. I thought that was fascinating. He was Winston Churchill. (laughs) I love the inglorious bastard. (laughs) Jessica Tandy plays Lydia Brenner. Uh, That's the mother character to uh, Mitch. And she plays, uh, I think the character's name is Ninny in Fried Green Tomatoes. She's Mm -hmm. the lovable old lady who may or may not have killed someone. (laughs) (laughs) And then Veronica Cartwright as Kathy Brenner. And she was an alien... um, I didn't recognize the character names. I just referenced the movie. And Suzanne Plachette as Annie Hathaway. Hathworth. Hayworth. <laughs> Someone. <laughs> Hathaway. Annie <laughs> Uh She's Mitch's ex-lover. Mm-hmm. All right, love. And then Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred as Hitchcock. Um, I missed the cameo as it was happening in real time. Had to rewatch it on YouTube. Uh, you see him do his signature cameo as... Um, Melanie is walking into the pet store. He's walking out with his two dogs, which were his personal dogs. I think he did another trailer where, uh, like on Psycho, he I, I watched it. The set. I didn't it, he watch didn't, it. He didn't go through the set. He's in like a, a big like um, study where like the books and shit on the wall and shotguns and shit. And he goes, tonight's lecture is, you know, and he, he, he wants to talk about, it's a five minute commercial uh, where he's talking about man's relationship to the bird. And he's like explaining like, this is one of the oldest cave drawings. And it's like a bird with an arrow shot through it dead on the ground. And then he's got like the plumage on like all these hats. And it's like, we've shown our affection for the bird by killing it and putting it. And at one point he sits down to eat a duck dinner and he's like, I couldn't stand stomach the idea and gets up and he's got a canary in a cage Duck and he sticks his finger in and it bites him on the finger and he goes now why would it do anything like that and you start to hear the bird sounds and then tippy hedren runs into the room slams the door behind her and that's the end of the commercial oh that's neat so like he's living real time in his film but that's like neat. for four and a half minutes you're like why is alfred hitchcock talking to me about birds because <laughs> we've pissed off the birds we've pissed them off <laughs> The synopsis. Um, the synopsis. So, and I, I'm confused by the relationships of the women throughout the film. I, 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 I was having trouble in real time, so kind of catch me up here. Um, 
Melanie comes into town, meets Mitch, likes Mitch. Melanie's had some sort of an encounter with a prank in the past, so she's, you know, been, like, written off by society, I guess. Well, apparently um, her dad is very wealthy, so she's one of those people that never really... Was in the tabloids and shit. Yeah, Yeah. never really had to work. She was, like, basically the Hollywood star that's always in the tabloids, always getting in trouble, so nobody takes her seriously. Yeah, so she rolls into town. She meets Mitch. She likes Mitch. She buys Mitch some lovebirds. Um, then she stalks Mitch. She stalks Mitch. <laughs> and then there's some crazy fucking conversations throughout the film is like, we learn that Mitch is basically molded by the women in his life and it's heady. And then the birds start fucking killing everybody. And then it ends abruptly very, very abruptly. for no fucking reason. <laughs> <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, yeah. But interestingly, um, what, yeah. what did you think about it? Like, I know that you'd seen it I'd before. Seen it. I'd never seen it before, and I just knew of its impact. What did you think about it as an overall film? I think with a lot of... Like, I think Psycho still hands hands up, stands up. But mm-hmm. I think with a lot of older films, they're the most impactful at the time that they came out because this movie probably would have been pretty revolutionary at the yeah. time. It would have been mind-blowing in 1963. Um, and I, I think there are parts of it that are really well done. There are parts of it where you can really feel the tension kind of building up as the mm-hmm. movie's wearing on. Um, but yeah, I, as far as existing today in 2021 as a scary movie, like it, it, yeah. it's, I hate to say that, but it's about like watching an old B-horror movie mm-hmm. where it's like, this is cheesy. Like we could have done this in the 80s, but the the genius of Hitchcock was he did it 20 years before it would have become standard, you know? So he was like, now 80s movies, we look at them and like, ah, that they're getting, you know, pretty cheesy now. Mm-hmm. So he's technically 40 years ahead of his time when he drops this fucking thing. I will say to the credit of <coughs> old Hollywood which I, I don't know that that's really good or bad because old Hollywood was a lot more prejudiced and sexist than um, we are kind of now. But I, I will say to the credit of old Hollywood movies, actors and actresses were contract workers. So that was all that mm-hmm. they did for a living. They didn't have day jobs as waitresses or anything like that. Like these people were professionals that were expected to be conducted in a certain way yeah. and um, dress a certain way and, I feel like the expectations are a lot higher. So even whenever you get to the parts where like the bird attacks look kind of cheesy, the movie itself holds up a lot better Mm -hmm. than a lot of the low budget horror movies we're putting out now where it's like they hire no name, nobody's just because they've got big boobs. People in a casting call. A six pack. Like, yeah, I feel like cheap horror movies now are based solely on what the character looks like and not remotely on the level of talent they bring. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I'll give old Hollywood credit for that. Like on the parts where there's not like cheesy attacks going on on the screen. I'm like, I I like the characters. I find the characters interesting. (laughs) Yeah. The dialogue's interesting. Like, I don't know. Like, I I think my only problem with it really is that cinematically, um, the tricks don't work anymore. Yeah. And we can definitely dive into the tricks not working. I liked it more than I expected to like it because Psycho is one of my favorites. You know, like I've, I've got an ever evolving list of quote unquote 10 films. It's probably a hundred films, but Psycho's forever in that conversation for me. I've seen it time and time again, and I still like flinch when you're supposed to flinch. Like it, it, it I, it's one of the most perfect films we really in the have genre. To go watch the sequels. Cause like, I, I want to see how terrible they are. 
like, I can't remember which we addressed that recently when we we were going to do a two star of the Leprechaun and Brett and I couldn't even finish it. <laughs> we we Brett and I have addressed that with each other. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast. Like I thought the Leprechaun was terrifying as a child, and as an adult, yeah. I'm like, oh god, this is stupid. It was unwatchable. <laughs> but I like I am ninety percent sure I have seen the sequels to Psycho because I remember being very afraid of Mother and Mother mm. having like a more prominent role. So, yeah, I'm curious if those hold up at all or not, or yeah. if the original's the only one that's any good. <laughs> they tried to do a sequel to The Birds for a TV film, and that got killed. Um, it's one of those, what's the, is it Arthur Smithy? The, the directors use the name where they're like, this project was fucking awful, and they don't want to take direct credit for it. No idea. I've but, never heard this before. Yeah, it's if you look up Smithy director, it'll pop up your Wikipedia article. Um, but they did it; they put it on TV, and the director did not want credit at all. You know, I can't imagine going. I'm going to take Alfred Hitchcock in his 60s, where he knows exactly what the fuck he wants to do, and I'm going to make a sequel to his work <laughs> on a lower budget with less named people and none of the stars. You know. <laughs> So how it, that how long after it was it? I think it was the 90s. Yeah, well. Yeah. So it was that long of, after. Maybe he's like, I could do it too. Turns <laughs> out I can't. Turns out I can't. Turns out those tricks worked in 1963, not in 1999. <laughs> Let's get into it, love. Okay. Um, I think the most... Um, I don't know that I've watched a ton of Hitchcock's old movies, to be honest, but I think the most... I really thing. haven't. Like, it's Psycho, The Birds. I may have seen Vertigo at one point, but I really I need to Vertigo. go see Vertigo again. I have seen Vertigo. Vertigo wasn't bad. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, watching this, especially having recently watched Psycho, um, I think one of the most obvious style things, besides mm -hmm. Hitchcock's, um, you know, use of lighting and shadows and stuff like that, is he likes the slow build. Yeah, he's like a, the, the master of tension. <laughs> and, like, I... I don't know. I, I felt like initially watching Psycho, I was like, why are we taking so much time with this? Like, mm -hmm. why are we at the hotel and watching the cop follow her around? And do we really need all this? And like with the birds, um, I don't know. Like it, it felt a bit more endearing, I think, mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, obviously they're the love interest. So we're getting this like buildup of them having their little meet yeah. cute and then her trying to track them down. And then while she's in the middle of tracking them down, weird stuff keeps happening. Mm -hmm. So I felt like... A lot of, like, comedic, warm-hearted moments. Mm -hmm. Like, early on in the film. Oh, 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 sorry. No, you're I fine. cut you off. I, I just remembered the scene where she is driving back on the boat, and he's hauling ass around the edge of Try the to bay to her. meet her at the dock. Yeah, and I, I like that... Um, Psycho is obviously a better movie, for sure. But I, I like that in this one... There's, I feel like, a bit more of a kind of peppering of the build-up to what's mm -hmm. wrong. Like, the seagull attacks her, and then the seagull's dead on the porch, and then the children get hurt, and there's just kind of this build to, like... And then there are a bunch of crows just sitting around, and, and Psycho... I, I want to talk about that one scene in particular. It's <laughs> brilliant. In Psycho, um... I don't know. Like, I, I felt like... trying to think of how i want to say this what i like is dead air on this particular episode works because there's birds outside and children <laughs> play i felt like in psycho we spent 
a lot of time getting to know Marion for her to immediately die, which mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of a neat trick, I guess, if you're trying to pull the rug out from under your audience. Yeah. But then... Completely takes away everything that the audience knows about this world, and now we have to learn about Norman Bates. Yeah. But then I feel like, because we spend so much time with her lover, Sam, like, trying to figure out what's going on with her, like... Getting to know Marion up front should have made me feel a bit more, like, empathetic for Sam. And instead, there's this weird, like, side love interest of him with his recently dead lover's sister. Yeah. Um, so I feel like maybe as Hitchcock got older, he got a bit better at, like, kind of building the tension and building mm-hmm. the relationships and the characters' background and stuff. Because in Psycho, I don't feel like it was as effective. Because the movie, to me, felt a bit slow until we really kind of got in with Norman stuff yeah. and like with this one I was like I don't really mind that we're at the bird shop or that she's mm-hmm. trying to hunt him down like she looks a bit crazy but like I didn't mind it because I was like oh like they're having kind of their cute little moment and then weird shit starts happening as we're still kind of getting to know the characters yeah. my favorite trick that he did in this film um which I, I do want to talk about his use of shadow because it's Hitchcock we can't not talk about his use of shadow is it doesn't necessarily feel like a Hitchcock film for that whole first like 20 minutes like it's it's really bright outside everybody's happy we don't have any tension like we do in Psycho with with the police officer where she's like like we don't have that so like we're in this idyllic small bay Um, and then as that day progresses into night like around the sunset scene is when we get our first like real deal shit that's kind of going down. Like she's already been attacked, but it's believed to be an accident by the gull in the bay. But when we're inside and the night is starting to creep in, we get this definite Hitchcockian. Now we're stepping into this other world where I've got you for the next hour. You know, <laughs> don't fuck with me. And um, I, I think a lot of that has to do with his use of lighting and shadow to, 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 he, he doesn't pop the tension like he does in Psycho. He just lets it go and go and go. Well, I feel like by this stage of his career... This he, is three years after Psycho. Yeah, which, I mean, and you can like learn a 65 lot. 65 or something like that. You can learn that. a lot in three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like by this stage in his career, he had gotten a bit better at kind of pacing out the tension. Because um, even with Psycho, I felt like after... Marion dies, and whenever we're kind of doing this whole back and forth of Sam's looking for, her, sister's looking for, her, weird PI guys looking for, yeah, like Norman's it felt, trying to get away from his mom. <laughs> like it felt a bit disjointed, and like there were moments in the middle of the movie where it still felt like we didn't really know where we were going. And then there's the build up again at the end of the movie when the chick's in the house and Norman finds out she's in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, where with this, it was just kind of this like steady build up of it's getting worse, and the characters yeah. are hopeful it's going to get better. And it's getting worse. (laughs) This might be the perfect time to bring up my favorite scene because I think that was the best use of tension in the entire movie. Like if you were going to... Where the kids are all singing their song. The kids are singing the song and she's smoking the cigarette on the porch and there's birds on the jungle gym behind her. And at first it's just one bird and the song's really innocent. And then there's three birds. She doesn't know they're behind her. Yeah, and the song's really innocent. And then as that innocent you know song is being sung by the end of that scene she turns around and there's got to be 40 or 50 fucking crows 
on every inch of this jungle gym, just sitting and, <laughs> you know, and she has to, like, get up quietly and walk in right as they're about to let go for recess to try to stop the fucking attack. The use of that melody felt like Craven might have used that as an influence for most of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. The one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Um, in this jungle gym scene, we get that at a deconstructed level where you're like, she doesn't know there's one. Fuck, there's 50. <laughs> I, I do like that she doesn't realize they're there at all until they've completely taken over. Mm -hmm. And like, we... As an audience, kind of get this cool. We see them slowly building up, like it's just one or two, and then it's like maybe ten. Yeah. And then all he shows is her smoking, and she keeps looking over her shoulder at the school, so we don't see ourselves that the crows have kept collecting mm -hmm. until she finally realizes it, and then it's like, dear God, there's fifty. <laughs> yeah, and it creates its own outline, like its own character is just all the crows sitting right together. I thought that was fucking brilliant, <laughs> but. Speaking of the pacing and speaking of the slow burn, this thing draws tension from the second it starts all the way through and then just stops. And like I read a thing where they were saying, you know, yeah, like the obvious, it was a commentary on um, our abuse of our environment and how... Um, the ebb and flow of the bird attacks was like love and hate kind of like taking turns. Hmm. Um, cause you know, the birds attack and then the birds are calm for a while and then the birds attack and the birds are calm for a while. And it was like using a rep representation, even with the love birds references, like love yeah. versus hate in life, I guess. I've read something where it was like a, something about the cold war, like this nuclear fear, crazy side fact, you know how we wanted to end this shit? He wanted to fill the Golden Gate Bridge with birds. Which I think that would have been That would have been cooler. insane. That would have been the greatest goddamn closing if you're just like, oh, this small town, the whole nation has been attacked. You know? Because to me, the way it ends doesn't really make a lot of sense because they have like the news in the background that they go back to sometimes and it's like it's predominantly yeah. in this town. There have been, like, smaller incidences elsewhere, which kind of the indication it might spread, but also might not. And then, mm -hmm. like... Then they, it's like the military's being called in. Yeah, they say yeah. they might send the military in. They don't even say that they're going to, but that there's blockades to leave the town. And for me, for one, that makes no sense because birds fly. <laughs> so why are you blocking the roads? And the last thing we see is them literally pulling out of the driveway still surrounded by birds yeah. in a soft top convertible. And I'm like, are they going to get stuck at a blockade and get attacked again? Like, yeah. Is the military going to tell them they can't leave the town because they've been pecked by the birds? Like, this is what's all going we need on? is to fly Kentucky in with all their shotguns and just yeah. to, let's take care of this goddamn gulls problem. These Californians and their gun laws. <laughs> I mean, like, granted, this would have been before Planet of the Apes, but like the birds on the Golden Gate Bridge would have been a little Planet of the Apes. But I mean, it still would have been, I think, a better ending than what we ended up mm -hmm. with. Yeah, like that's the weirdest thing to me about this movie is like, I feel like he really kind of got. The pacing on the front end down and the, the back end, he just gave up on it. Yeah, it just stops for no reason. And, like, his thing was he didn't want to put the end at the end. He wanted it to feel like the terror lives on. But, like, maybe it worked with some of the tricks that he could have done. Like, he put speakers up outside of the movie theaters to play the birds as people walked past. So, like, they would go from that environment mm -hmm. to, oh, my God, they're here for us now. 
But it doesn't work at home audiences of 2021. And, like, even, I think, maybe holding the shot a bit longer and having some of the birds fly up where it's like, are they going to attack them? Are they driving off to safety? Like, maybe even just holding that so it's a bit more ambiguous about whether or not they make it. It literally just feels like it just ends. Yeah, like they slowly walk out to the car, they slowly drive away, and you're like, I need some, like, last moment of chaos or a whole other act because what are we doing? It just cuts to black. And you don't even see the car really drive away. They only drive, like, a few feet, and then the movie cuts off. So it feels like somebody accidentally, like... We're in the actual old school movie theater with the old school film reel and the film reel accidentally got torn. It just slipped off and yeah. it's like, that's, that's it? That's the end? All yeah, right. so a weird choice. It felt as shit right there. But I loved it as a as, as, as a movie, like right all the way through. I just, I wish that there was something extra. Like you could have done an extra 10 minutes or cut from that open on the Golden Gate covered in birds, black. I would have been happy. And it feels weird too for me because there is this... Like, the slow build-up where we're getting to know the town and we're getting to know the characters. And, like, we clearly establish her dad is wealthy and has pull and works for the paper. And she calls and tells him what's going on. And, like, I don't buy that Daddy Warbucks wouldn't be throwing money at everyone to go get his daughter out of that town. So, like, I don't... Like, it feels like, why did we even bother developing that she's this like super ritzy girl that's all over the tabloids if her being in the town of the attack isn't going to be tabloid worthy yeah if that's not going to be number one it's like you just flew potus into like bumfuck ohio yeah (laughs) so like it feels weird to me that we spent so much time establishing any of that stuff at all or that why does it matter so much that he's a lawyer if it's not relevant at all to what's happening in the story other than how they met no that's ass (laughs) <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. Like, I feel like maybe we could have dropped some of that stuff if we weren't going to develop it and spend a bit more time on the back half or something i don't know there's something wrong with this film in the <laughs> very last 10 minutes it's just it, it it doesn't work but i would give um everything i have to one day feel or make somebody else feel the way that i felt watching all those crows on that jungle gym i was give like them the- whiskey and wheat the whiskey and wheat. Like, it felt very omen. Like it felt, you know, like this just ominous, very London, like very, like very black and white. Like almost, it, almost. It helps that the crow is kind of a creepy bird. The seagulls were not nearly as creepy. Yeah, but like almost a return to his like roots in the black and white filmmaking in this color film. We get old Hitchcock in new Hitchcock. I really thought for some reason this movie was in black and white. I forgot that it was in color. <laughs> um, well, Psycho was a choice. He did that one on purpose in, in black and white. He could have done that in color. He did because it, it was cheaper. Yeah, it looks better than it would have. <laughs> um, one last character complaint. The old scientific lady who's literally just there to drop facts about birds. I'm like, if she's, if she's not relevant either to... Some futuristic, the birds are Wasn't she the pet store owner? No. It it was the lady in the middle of the movie when they're all in the diner. And she's just smoking her cigarette like, this is ridiculous. Different bird species wouldn't join together. We'd all be dead. (laughs) You don't know anything about the puffy red-breasted (laughs) Ajahn. So all the the more reason to have multiple species of birds on the Golden Gate Bridge. (laughs) Because 
Facts, lady, we're all dead. We're all dead. The fucking, the birds came together. That, I know this <laughs> sounds like somebody did a lot of cocaine and then wrote a screenplay. It's actually <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um... How do you feel about it being in color versus in black and white? Well, that's what I was getting at a minute ago with the the Jungle Gym um, thing, is I feel like we get this nod to Hitchcock's other... I mean, this is arguably his most successful outside of Psycho, but um, we get this nod back to old Hitchcock. And I could get that it would be cool to see i think he had a let me try to work no i think it would have been better in black and white he wouldn't have needed the corny overlays we can get to that here in a second uh it would have been better in black and white because he is the master of shadow he's the master of lighting and we don't really get to experience that until we get to the point that i was talking about earlier where the sun starts going down and now he uses these deep reds and these deep yellows to create the same sorts of shadows that he would create in a black and white. I do wonder though, cause I feel like we are privy to the knowledge fairly early on in psycho that someone is a killer. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, anyone who doesn't know the first thing about psycho is <laughs> under the assumption that mother is the killer. But, yeah. um, I think most people know that's not the case. <laughs> they do um, now. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I think what maybe makes the color work in this movie is because it's different. Um, it is a lot more lighthearted mm-hmm. on the front end. It does feel like it's like a romantic comedy almost. Yeah. Like she has the meet cute at the store and then she's the quirky chick who finds out where he lives. And then, oh, here's his ex-lover. And... <laughs> We're kind of friends, but kind of tension, you know? And it's and, this nice, calm bay area, yeah. so the color does work. Yeah, yeah. and it's a, a cute little town, so it seems kind of idyllic. And, like, I will agree, I don't think the first part of the movie felt like a Hitchcock movie to me. Like, as a kid, I used to watch, like, the old Nick at Night shows, mm-hmm. and it literally made me think of I Dream of Jeannie. And... It reminds me of fucking, <clears throat> you know, Sound of Music, you know? <laughs> Um, With that yeah. Technicolor kind of look. Yeah, and it does feel a lot different, especially having just watched Psycho from that type of movie. But I think where I will give it credit, it doesn't have the impact as far as the lighting techniques go, because um, Psycho is a lot more heavy on the shadows and stuff. But where I will give it credit is, I guess maybe that helps with the mood and building the tension because when we get to the back half of the movie where they're trapped inside the house and the lighting's a lot more dim and they're Mm -hmm. having to use the flashlight to walk around although if you're pointing a flashlight in front of you there would not be a giant beam of light on your face um but again well like that's i think why i would argue for the black and white i felt like he was the master of that you know like and so it while I feel that the color works for those early tension scenes where we are outside, um, when they go into the dark, it's like he's lost his element with the color because he can't blow out the same sorts of things. Mm. Like, you can blow out the face in black and white, but that hazy look that you pointed out that they give every fucking woman in every movie from 1945 to 1973. I would argue, though, that it's a bit more obvious that the movie has literally visually gotten darker in mm-hmm. color. Cause 
I mean, you can clearly see, like, the yellows and, like, the, yeah. the golden hues and stuff are a lot dimmer when we're in the house and they just have the little oil lamp and that's all they have because the power's gone out or whatever. Um, so I, I guess maybe building tension-wise, the shots aren't as pretty as they are in Psycho, but, mm -hmm. like, building tension-wise, just film theory um like it's like okay you, you get a progression of color uh, like well you get a progression of the color dimming mm -hmm. so like by the end of the movie it's a bit more dull and dim and the sky looks smoky outside even so i don't know that you'd be able to pull that off as well in mm -hmm. black and white um I, I do think the scene where she's being attacked in the room by herself upstairs in the attic would have been way cooler in black and white yeah. for sure um and just the close-ups of the birds attacking in general might have looked less cheesy. Um, I don't know. I, I guess that would be my argument in favor of that it does visibly get dimmer well, <laughs> as no, the movie uh, wears on. Yeah, and now that you bring that up, I, I think that makes more sense because you do allow him not a literal black and white in the sense that we think of, but definitely darker tones. And that's where you start to see the Hitchcock come back out. I would say it is a bit more blandly lit though mm -hmm. than psycho was psycho was definitely a lot more intentionally lit i think where with this one i don't know that they even lit any of the outdoor shots that look like that was just sunshine Want to know a fun fact sure. final scene when they're leaving the house and he closes the door this is gonna blow your fucking mind <laughs> there was no door hitchcock did that with lighting to make it look like there was a door closing he used lighting wrap your head around that shit Wait, what when they leave at the end of the film and they close the door behind them, on set, there was no door there. Hitchcock did that with light. <laughs> Why wasn't there a door there? They said the door I don't know. Times. Maybe the union took over that day. <laughs> took, the, took their door away? There's there was a... no door on the set. So he did that with light. Like the front door? They showed that door a bunch of times in the movie. It though. wasn't there for that shot. That's so they weird. used light. I don't know if they had to take it down to get a different part of the shot, but he didn't yeah, have a door. Yeah, they showed that door a bunch. Yeah, he didn't have a door, so I guess he like had to put a panel up against his lights and shift it so that you could get the shadow shot. But That's there was weird. no actual door there for that shot. Mind blown! That is very bizarre, because there's definitely a door there in other shots. I read it in a list of IMDb trivia facts. I pulled it right out of my ass. I don't have any more information for you than that, my love. Um, no, he did but speaking what, of... He did what I did in college. He handed out his door and it got passed around as a beer pong table. <laughs> facts. I literally did that while I was in college the first go-around. Not this go-around. You handed out your door? Yeah. I, so I lived in... Um, it wasn't my door. Um whenever I was like 20 in college, the first go around, I lived in one of those rent by bedroom apartments yeah. and there were like four bedrooms in that apartment mm -hmm. and then that the kitchen all shared, and everything. Yeah. All shared all a that. mutual living room, mm -hmm. uh, kitchen area. And we had a closet door that the guys that were living in the apartment took down to play beer pong. And for whatever reason, Someone asked one day if they could borrow the door for their beer pong party. Mm -hmm. And so then our door became the party surfer. <laughs> and that door was gone for like a good month before we ever saw it again. And it was busted up when it came back. So that's my theory. Hitchcock decided he was going to be a contributor. He was playing to... beer pong with uh, fucking Tippy Hedren. <laughs> yep. He was like, theory. that's the door I'm going to rape her on. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. He said in the moment. 
<laughs> that is the door I will allegedly rape you on. <laughs> <laughs> That's my theory. That's but speaking of no practical and impractical effects, <laughs> not having a door, if it, it, it works, it's a good segue. <laughs> it's a true story. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about this a bit already, but they used a lot, thousands of real birds that they mm. trained. And then, you know, for... he sent his team out to the, the, the local dump. That's kind of gross. To I hope film, they gave them rabies shots. To film the seagulls so that he could figure out how they dove and how they fluttered and how they fought each other. Like, he wanted to see a mass of seagulls, so he sent his whole team out to just go record seagulls at the dump, which part-time is genius, and part-time is uh, probably him fucking with his recording team. Because he grew up in England. I have to imagine he went to Brighton Pier. If you go to Brighton, you can see the exact same thing. He probably used some of that footage, too, for the like screen overlays that they yeah. used. Um, but yeah, anyway, so um, I think, and I think it's pretty obvious, which is which there's live birds on set in some of this. And I feel like yeah. it's pretty clear oh, when it's the live bird. <laughs> and apparently for a like couple, the jungle gym shot, those are definitely the crows. <laughs> yeah. um, and even that ending shot, that is a yard full of actual yeah. birds that are there. Um, they also had mechanical birds for, I guess, specific attack <laughs> sequences um, and that one time they tied a couple of the seagulls to Hedron. Yeah. And she had to run around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then um, I, I have done no research into this whatsoever, so I don't know exactly how they did it. But to me, it's very obvious this is what it is. So in old um, films before CGI and special effects mm-hmm. and Premiere Pro and stuff were a thing and you couldn't literally... Um, lay screens on top of each other kind of like a facebook filter yeah you got an existing like photograph and then you put just this put a other, filter on yeah. top of it yeah so we can do that digitally now um back then this was filmed on actual film and you could not do this stuff digitally mm-hmm. they were literally hand cutting and pasting together um bits of film to form together a movie so um like i said i've done no research on this but i am pretty sure this is what they did when you wanted a special effect on a movie, and there's a lot of movies where they uh, did this, um, if you wanted like that kind of like vignette look, it yeah. was literally like a filter you would put in, or like um, over the top of the original film. So I I know some of them they were like little plates you could put in the camera. So mm-hmm. sometimes with stuff like that, there's like an actual plate you can put in the camera. I don't think that's what they did with this. I think what they did with this was um, filmed. The birds, and then I, I don't know technically how you would have done it without digital technology back then, so I don't know the science behind it, but they would have basically made the background transparent, so it was just the bird, and then, yeah, laid the film on top of it, mm-hmm. and then, like, Compress that, them, yeah. so you have, like, two different film reels yeah. laying on top of each other, yeah. Yeah, so I would imagine that's how this was done for the major bird attack sequences because you can clearly tell (laughs) clearly tell watching this that the mass of birds that are flying around like crazy that the people in the scenes are just wildly swinging at the air are not physically in the scene at all you can tell it's literally just dubbed on top of it (laughs) this is like these crazy long sequences too of just a really bad effect which i'm i think must have worked if we were watching it in its original film version like it would have been blurry and it would have been brand new um so maybe it would have felt more real but watching it back in the day it would have felt yeah pretty revolutionary 
But today, it's just a five-minute sequence that you and I could throw together in five minutes. We yeah. wouldn't even have to think about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, and it's rough to watch because you can tell they're batting at nothing. Like, mm. Their arms are literally swinging through the mass of birds and it's not affecting the flight pattern or anything. <laughs> and then you can tell, too, which makes it more obvious the foreground is fake. There are some actual real birds in the scene, yeah. so there was like a couple of real birds walking around on the ground in the background. Through the fake birds. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, geez, like, I feel like that bird that just now flew through that other bird would have killed it, but here we are. But fuck it, we're living in a Hitchcockian <laughs> world. Physics don't exist. Uh, so I, I guess my question is, would it not have been better to have just not... have just not yeah well it's the issue we talk about quite frequently where you know spielberg got it right with jaws like we can see it for seven more 17 seconds of the entire film is the shark go (laughs) and it's not all at once it's you know a glimpse here it's a glimpse there it's the dead body with the eyes plucked out of its Mm -hmm. fucking face like that's where it's done right. Like, we don't linger on dead body. Like, we get that and we get out. It's why it worked at the end of Psycho with the mother's dead body. That is not a realistic version of a decayed human yeah. body. But you got in, you got out. Mm-hmm. You didn't linger. The bird attack goes on for, like, 20 minutes, and we're both sitting there going, this is making me dizzy. Like, this, <laughs> this is nauseating. Yeah. What the fuck is happening And here? I feel like... Again, this was probably revolutionary for the time, so maybe at the time they felt like they were really pulling off a a cool trick. But I don't think even if they had done it the way that they did that it should have lasted as long as it was. Because, yeah, even with Jaws, they wanted the shark to be in a lot more of the movie and they were having issues with the mechanical shark. The shark kept breaking down, the shark didn't look good, and so... As a director, Spielberg made that executive decision, we have to do less. Mm-hmm. So, How about we just get a waterproofed camera and we slink it through the water at the legs? And, it ends and up that's going to do more than if I show it from 50 yards away, a shark like a going. robot yeah. that's like <laughs> twitching around the water. And it, it ended up being a much scarier movie, I think, because you feel like you're from the shark's perspective on the prowl, and Mm -hmm. you don't know who the victim is, because it's just, yeah, the shark's slinking through the water. And even with, um, not trying to toot my own horn, because it's not like that soon, that soon, that's... Scene was... This is not my favorite Hitchcock film (laughs) by far, so we can do whatever we want to do. No, I know. I'm not... I think you're a better director than Hitchcock was. No. <laughs> just based on you've had a lot more technology available to you, and you got to watch Hitchcock. Hitchcock didn't get to watch Hitchcock. Um, I'm I'm not comparing myself to Hitchcock, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but just for reference, for I think knowing your own limitations is important. I don't think Jaws would have been as good as it was if they had mm-hmm. tried to keep the shark in. And um, when Brett and I did Brainstorm, for instance. I don't have the uh, access to the level of special effects that would have been required to show a shot in the head up close. Yeah, suicide. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, especially to the head. We maybe could have tried to fake a different oh, body yeah, part. Oh, yeah, we could have. <laughs> if I got winged in the liver, we could have pulled that off. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't have... I mean, also, we live in a three-bedroom apartment, so I was trying not to make a huge mess. A one-bedroom apartment. Yeah, a one-bedroom on apartment on the third floor. <laughs> so I was trying not to make a huge mess in our apartment, but we don't have 
the um, access to the stuff that we would have needed to have faked showing it. So yeah. we didn't show it. And I don't think that the editing on that is perfect, but it looks significantly less cheesy than it would have looked if we had showed it. If we had tried <laughs> to do something that we obviously couldn't do. Yeah. And I think for sure at the time... That's in- Go ahead. I was going to say, I think for sure at the time, this was probably pretty cool. I think if they were going to do it, they should have done it one time and only for a moment. They did it multiple times, and it just looks so silly. Mm-hmm. Because um, you can tell, like I said, that the birds aren't even in the scene. Um, you can tell that the people swatting at them aren't swatting at anything at all. At one point, the children are obviously running on treadmills in front of a green screen. <laughs> Yeah, and then you get the the repeated close up of like the freaking um, seagull nipping, mm-hmm. and it just looks so silly. It doesn't even look like it's actually bit anyone. Like yeah. that's clearly a mechanical bird that's just going. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> it, it just looks so dumb. Um, can we? Because we've we, we've made the psycho comparison throughout the episode. Um, compare the birds. Just as an effect, right? Mm-hmm. To the shower sequence. Like, if we're talking in terms of how the attack is done, there is a definite moment where you see the knife just laid flat against the belly yeah. that didn't need to happen, but he didn't have a retractable knife that he could stick in but somebody. Also just don't show that scene. He couldn't show <laughs> the blood, you know, but he creates this very effective shower scene that's legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, where you can watch it time and time again, and the first couple of times, even, like, your eyes might miss the flat-against-the-belly knife, you know? But it looks like she's being stabbed to death. With the music, it feels like she's being stabbed to death, and it's chaotic, and it's violent, but you don't actually see anything um, to the birds. Is it similar to the Jaws situation? Like, did he... Did he get a new toy, like color and like special effects? And he was like, I've got a new thing, you know? Where the shower sequence works is those are really rapid, tight shots. Like, there's no wide shots in that whole scene. Like, it's mm-hmm. all like her face or an arm swinging down or body parts or her arms like coming up. So, like, every time you see the knife come down, other than. That the one, belly shot. <laughs> that one really absurd shot that they kept in for some reason because they easily could have cut that out and still had plenty of shots to make the scene work. Um, you never see the knife connect. We just see the scramble of knife coming down yeah. for trying to fight it and off. And that music just screaming. And yeah. trickling blood at her feet. Um, so, like... I, d- I don't know that they could have shot the birds the same way if we're trying to do these big elaborate chase... Sh- uh, well, that's what I'm arguing is I, I, I think it's not even worth having these big elaborate yeah. chase scenes when he could just throw the birds at them and then take the birds away. And what's, <laughs> what's bizarre to me is whatever they did, I don't know if those were real birds or mechanical birds or if that was also an overlay, but it just didn't look as silly because there weren't people in it. Whatever they did when that mask comes sweeping down the chimney... Looked crazy. Actually looked really cool. Um, and then they kept us there and it got yeah. done really fast. But like that that initial swoop yeah. almost felt like the exorcist. <laughs> and even... It didn't look great. It still looked pretty cheesy. But even the sequence when she's in the attic and she's being attacked, like those are a bit more up close and 
um, kind of her, that scene was a bit more similar to the shower scene, trying to fight off like the birds and she's getting the little scrapes on her and stuff. Even that looked a little less silly. Mm -hmm. It didn't look great. But yeah, I think the problem is he wanted it to look like mass chaos in the entire town and in the entire room or the entire schoolyard (laughs) all at once instead of like this moment is Mm -hmm. chaos. Um, And yeah, I think sometimes you'd, do you think? To, do you mean like you th- you feel like he was projecting far too much, far too often? Because like I feel like before the the scene at the with the kids, you get this beautiful sequence, um, but it does feel like it's projecting for the perfect sequence to follow. But like for everything else, it's like oh now we're stacking the birds up again. Now it's predictable, you know. Like maybe they come out of fucking nowhere a couple of mm. times, and then we get to see a giant explosion. All for the some crows, reason. yeah. Some dude accidentally <laughs> blows up a gas station, um, which I, I forgot about. I remembered it as I was reading the Wikipedia <laughs> synopsis. <laughs> well, I think it's. Um trying to think of a good example it's like in boxing like you don't want to like i'm gonna throw a left yeah we <laughs> in the way that it's shot i think it's a lot more effective to take a smaller space sometimes and try to make that space work so if um i don't know if you and i were trying to shoot a scene where we were trying to like project that it was really, really, really cold outside, and it really wasn't cold outside. It was summer, and yeah. the birds were singing outside. It would be a lot easier for me, realistically, to try to fog up one single window mm-hmm. of our apartment versus trying to fake an entire winter scene outside. That's an interesting, yeah. So... I I think with Hitchcock, the problem is he's trying to fake a bird attack on an entire town at once by visually showing a bird attack on an entire town at once instead of showing a business being attacked, a home being attacked, a child being attacked. So then you have this really busy... Around our main characters. Yeah, so then you have this really busy overlay of this absurd fake-looking swoop of birds that have filled up this entire room instead of filled up the kitchen or, Mm -hmm. you know, something. Like, I, I feel like it's just trying to show too much instead of letting the audience piece it together themselves like you can you can show like with the shower scene small little bits that then let the person fill in the rest in their brain like she's clearly being stabbed to death i don't need to see the knife inserting to acknowledge she's being stabbed to death that's that's really interesting and it reminds me of um like the george a romero you know night of the living dead you don't show the world consumed by zombies. You yeah. follow then one you man who is being chased through town by zombies. And I understand the whole town is being yeah. chased by zombies. I just get his perspective of this overall story. And we could have realistically understood that the whole town was under attack without having that chasing of the children down the street. Down the hill. Yeah, without having... <laughs> The chair, the attack outside of the gas station with the elaborate explosion. We could have not filled up the entire home with this aggressively long sequence of fake birds. Like, we could have done smaller, tighter shots Mm -hmm. and it not looked so silly, I think. So maybe that's the problem is... Hitchcock does zombies. (laughs) The birds. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... 
think especially, which I mean, not that Hitchcock was a nobody. I think especially if you're a low budget filmmaker who doesn't have a lot at your disposal forever, Mm -hmm. less is more. Like if you can get away with showing just enough that your audience can put the rest together themselves, do that. And that's my big takeaway from this. And that's kind of what I've been like hitting throughout, I think, is it feels like a master got a new toy. Like it feels like he had the ability to play with these special effects that he didn't have for most of his career. He's in his 60s, like he's legally able to retire, and now there's these new things. And instead of just sticking to the bastard he knew, (laughs) he was like, I think I'm going to go, you know, out like the guy who does all the Batman movies and Michael Bay. Like, he's like, I'm going to go Michael Bay with my creature feature as opposed to sticking to my roots, maybe, of the classic creature features. Transformer movies. (laughs) Yeah, Christopher Nolan or whoever (laughs) directed the other shit. Somebody, somebody somewhere. But yeah, I, I I liked it as a movie. I'd watch it again in a heartbeat. I don't like the ending. I think the ending sucks. But there was so much incredible dialogue. There's the line, you view me, and I'm going to butcher it, you view me as poor and innocent, and I can assure you I'm neither. <laughs> it was fucking brilliant. With all due respect to Mr. Freud. Yeah, with all due respect to Mr. Freud was another fucking line. <laughs> yeah. And there's some really tight scenes throughout the thing. I just think it shits the bed in the last 10 minutes. And even the scene where we see the guy with the gouged out eyes, like I knew he was going to be dead. That was super obvious mm. he was going to be dead. I was not expecting his eyes to be gouged out. And I like that Hitchcock only shows it the one time, like with Mother in the Basement, yeah. you only see it the one time. And yeah, it is weird for someone who normally knows when to save the big scare to put too much of it in a movie. Yeah. Because the gouge eyes was definitely the most dramatic part of this movie. <laughs> well, as a director, what takeaways do you have for it? I mean, and, and I feel like I, I already knew that, I think, just because I don't have, you know, big budgets at my disposal mm-hmm. and we don't have big special effects and... Um, I'm not fantastic yeah. at special effects. We've got with. a professional kit <laughs> and a professional laptop <laughs> where we are trying to become professionals, but we don't have like a fucking special effects yeah. department and all that shit. And I, I think, which again, it wasn't necessarily something I learned from this movie. It was something I, I've been aware of already. Like sometimes you have to kind of cheat it and show a bit mm-hmm. less. Like I think... Um, the dolls even is probably a better example of where we pulled it off a bit better. Um, Brainstorm wasn't bad, but I didn't love the way I edited that final shot together. Literally. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, with the dolls, like we shot the closet sequence in three separate locations. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not even our actor chainsawing down the door. It's Brett. Yeah. Um, And yeah, like I'm the we, special effects coordinator <laughs> on that shit. <laughs> we we had to piece together something that wasn't remotely in one scene and make it look like it all happened at once together. And it's not um, perfect, you know. It, it has its moments. Yeah, it, like, <laughs> there is kind of a like, how did we go from the little splinters in the door to now he's in the room? But again, your mind kind of puts that together itself, and I feel like it's interesting to see people that are considered masters of film, I think still kind of flawed in making mistakes themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, th- I think empowering for 
young filmmakers who are still kind of flushing out their way that you can be experimental and would you put it on your list of you have to watch these if you want to make film not this one no like you um, would some of the cohen brothers are definitely psycho like there you can miss citizen kane there's nothing you're going to learn now that you haven't learned from all the other films but keep Psycho in the mix because Hitchcock still wants to teach you a thing about vertical lines. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend this one for um, the horror element. I would recommend this one for maybe character dialogue. Like the dialogue between the characters flows really well all around. Like even whenever she's talking to his ex, like it Mm -hmm. still feels very very organic and like there's cool... That was one of the most beautiful scenes in the entire thing is there talks about like him and them and (laughs) And there's cool shots where he like puts one very prominently in the foreground and one in the back Mm -hmm. and it feels like the struggle between the two of them so maybe for like blocking and um dialogue Mm -hmm. i i wouldn't watch it for the effects or the scares or anything though um but yeah I, i i think the takeaway for me is even the masters aren't without flaws and um like I said, you don't always have to show all your tricks all at once. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. letting the audience be clever enough to put it together works more in your favor. And yeah. I, I think it's a mistake to take for granted that the audience isn't clever enough to put it together. Fuck yeah. It reminds me a little bit of that. And I'm not, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but Stephen King's. Um, Never mind. Uh, Stephen King's on writing. There are no masters of the craft. <laughs> there are only practitioners. And so, like, I, I, I think watching a film like this in 2021 is um, a nice reminder of that. Like, we have such reverence to where if you had a Mount Rushmore of Hollywood, there's no way Hitchcock's not hiding in the shadow. <laughs> <laughs> And it's good to look at it and be like, I could do that better. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, sweetheart. Thank you. And I'm going to go make my beautiful wife some beautiful wings and rings. And as you heard, we're past stranger things. (laughs) This has been Bread and Breakfast. (laughs) Coming to you live from Flathead. Not yet. When you're hearing this, I'm at Flathead. Just so you know, Kristen and I, wine glasses. Apple Orchard, Lakeside View, go fuck yourself.